It's funny because, you know, marketers will exaggerate the crap out of something. Jordan Harbinger, who's interviewed over 700 people. And Inc. Magazine paralleled him to one of the best interviewers in the modern era, Jordan Harbinger. Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Did you just like pop out of your mother's womb with the perfect voice and no stutters? I should say I have a little bit of natural talent because in kindergarten and first grade, I got in trouble all the time. Also, I edited my own show. It's like I went too far. The long game is you never traded your reputation for cash. That's illegal. And I was like, wait a minute, it's illegal. I don't sell anything that I wouldn't try myself. This is the perfect medium for what I'm doing because we started getting attention from people in other countries. There weren't influencers. There weren't people that YouTube didn't exist. Reputation takes a lifetime to build and a moment to squander. What are you doing? What are you doing? You want people when you do your job right to listen for the next decade. We say dig the well before you're thirsty. My team that left with me, I couldn't pay them for the first few months. They worked for me for free. What, what did you do to set that up and grow it so quickly? What was your first move? Yeah, the, the first move. You're listening to the Real Business Connections Network. Real Business Connections Network. Powered, powered, powered by Balbert Marketing, LLC. Subscribe now and check us out at realbusinessconnections.com. Enjoy the show. Welcome, everyone, to Learn, Speak, Teach, powered by Balbert Marketing, LLC. If you love to learn, be inspired, and succeed, we're here to speak and teach. I'm your host, Ben Albert. I believe if you're not living, you're dying. If you're not growing, you're withering. And if you're not engaged, we can turn this off right now. Because we here at LST are lifelong learners. And listen, I'm not your guru. I'm an ordinary guy on a journey to learn from the experts. My goal is to host each conversation with a beginner's mindset. Learn and let the experts speak and teach their truths. Join us. Oh yeah, and don't forget to subscribe. This episode is brought to you completely free. Get some stake in the game here. My fee for the show only takes a few moments. If you gain value from the episode, personally share with a friend and explain your favorite part. Bonus points. Please leave us a review on Apple, Google Podcasts, or anywhere you listen to the show. All right, let's get started. Welcome, everyone, once again to Learn, Speak, Teach on the Real Business Connections Network. I'm here today with Jordan Harbinger. Jordan, what's up, man? Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. I, I love that you're at the beach and it looks warm, but then you also started a fire. That's really, you, you really are ready for all weather conditions. <laughs> this is actually going to be one of my last interviews in this. It's the spare bedroom with a green mm. screen, and it's remarkably nice for what it is. But I'll have a studio next week, so you're the last person to see the beautiful, and mm -hmm. most people listen to the audio. But, dude, honestly, guys, watch the video on this one. Great vibes. Jordan, 5 million downloads per month. Is that, is that there's true? More, there's more, but I... I was, it was changing so much going up and then it would, you know, I'd stop spending on advertising and it would go down a little. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to test not having a vanity metric that's up there. I'm going to put the lowest it's been in forever and just put that there and not care. And it's been kind of like a test to see if anybody gave a crap. And 
it's funny because people just have the same reaction as you as they're like, wow, that's a lot. And I'm like, oh, it's funny because, you know, marketers will exaggerate the crap out of something to impress people. And I'm like, I bet you could do the same thing by either telling the truth or just being as conservative as possible. And you're sort of proving that point. So I appreciate that. Conservatively, I think you probably got more listens during this 10 seconds of the conversation than I have all week. So you're doing <laughs> something right, my man. That's funny. That's um, funny. I'm excited to have you here. My, This is the big question. Did you just like pop out of your mother's womb with the perfect voice and no stutters and curious questions and this Ooh. brilliant, like masterful podcasting? Like, uh, were you born with it? So it's funny. My mom is or was, I should say, a speech therapist. She's in the next mm -hmm. room right now reading. She's been retired for years. But she, no, uh, when I was in, I want to say starting in kindergarten and first grade, I did, I, I should say I have a little bit of natural talent because in kindergarten and first grade, I got in trouble all the time for being really loud. You know how everyone's talking in line and you're but then you're the one that gets in trouble. And I'm like, why am I, I told my mom, why am I always the one who gets in trouble? And she goes, cause the, you're the one the teacher can hear. Everybody else is at this cacophony of noise. And you're the voice that just is loud enough where when you're in the back, she just hears you. And that's why you're getting in trouble. And I thought, so that's, I guess, yes, I had that, but no, I never was great at public speaking or anything. And I remember working really hard at that kind of in high school and then hating it again in college, just like everyone else. And then I, I decided to get good at speaking and I took a bunch of classes and I, I also, I edited my own show, now the Jordan Harbinger show, but I had a previous show before this that was all like dating nonsense. And, and it evolved over time, but I edited that show myself for a really long time. And what that will do to you is you will go, man, I'm cringing so hard because you'll be editing out, uh, so, uh, you know, you edit all that out because it's annoying to hear. And when you do that, and then you do an interview 15 minutes after you're done editing, you remember not to do that crap anymore because you're gonna have to cut it out later and you're just making more work for yourself. So I did cut out filler words. I, I did cut out ums, uhs. I add manual filler back in so that I don't sound too mm. polished or robotic because I, I remember when I really got it down, there were people commenting that were like, hey, you sound too polished when you say certain things. Hey, did you rehearse this? And I was thinking, I didn't rehearse anything, but since normal people probably would pause, stop in the middle of a sentence, say, um, uh, you know, or something, I now have to add them in manually yeah. because otherwise I sound like I'm pausing and I'm being too deliberate and maybe I rehearsed the answer. And that was not good when I was in sales. It was not good for credibility. It's like I went too far across the line where people were like, I don't know, I don't trust him. He doesn't make any mistakes when he talks. So now I'll throw in ums, uhs, likes. And now, of course, then I get comments like, stop using the word like in the wrong way. It's annoying. Signed, 75-year-old woman from Alabama who listens to the podcast. <laughs> so whatever. You can go too far across the line. Oh, it makes sense. I, I know just podcaster to podcaster, using Descript as an example. I've listened to podcasts yeah. where they edit out the ums and ahs, and it's like there's no place where anyone breathes. It's just like right. it's just machine guns going back, and, and there's mm -hmm. no – like I stutter all the time, and that's just part of who I am. Yeah, but I'm wondering – we we skipped ahead to editing. Why'd you even get started in the first place? Where did that insatiable curiosity come from? And podcast was probably just a medium, but you were curious before you started the podcast, right? Yeah, when I was a kid, 
like a young kid, I was really interested in, there was something that spoke to me about the radio and I listened to the radio all the time. And I would listen to the FM radio and I would listen to the AM radio. And then I, I can't remember where my mom got this or my dad. They gave me a shortwave radio that had AM and FM in it too. It was ancient. I mean, it was probably from like the 60s. And like, I remember the dial, instead of having frequencies, had places on it. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever seen one of these? And it was yeah. like Saigon. And I'm like, where's that? And my parents are like, uh, it's in Vietnam. It doesn't really exist anymore. It's called Ho Chi Minh City now. And I was like, whoa, had Moscow on it. And this is, you know, I grew up in the 80s. This is Cold War stuff. And I was thinking like, holy crap, there's people on here from places that we're not allowed to go and they're not allowed to come here and we will never meet these people because they're behind the Iron Curtain. Cuba was on there and I would listen to this for hours and hours and hours because I was a kid, I had nothing better to do. And I was really fascinated by this. So given the opportunity to build an FM transmitter uh, as a kid, which is a small sort of like this pocket size, you know, I'm holding up something that's basically like the size of a large coin, but thicker. Yeah. It was a device like that. I built one of those out of parts from Radio Shack, speaking of things that don't exist anymore, and it only pro it probably went like 100 feet. And then I was like, I need to add a high gain antenna to this thing. And I went to the store, and the guy there was like, yeah, I'm a communications engineer in college, I work at Radio Shack, and I was like, how do I get a high gain antenna? He's like, that's illegal. And I was like, wait a minute, it's illegal? So I started asking friends if I could borrow their high gain, because they used to stick out of uh, people's houses to, to get television. And if you had a nice one, you could just use that. So I was like, I need to find one of these things. So I started watching movies about pirate radio. People told me about that. And I was like, this is so cool. I want to do this. I want to be the guy who runs a pirate radio station. But bear in mind, I'm like 11. Okay, there's no internet, <laughs> nothing. So I get a hold of the internet eventually in the early 90s, 93, whatever. And I'm just fascinated by that too. So talk show host, podcasting, internet, radio, that all was like, when I found out about podcasting, I was like, this is the perfect medium for what I'm doing. Because at that point, when podcasting came out, I was like in my mid-20s. I There was one of those filler words, by the way. I, I was in my mid-20s. I was teaching a course. I was burning the audio to CD. Mm. But I thought, how do I get this to more people? And it was, podcasting was brand new. And I thought, this is the perfect epic sort of mix of radio sure. Uh, I, I guess I was going to say conglomeration or like whatever of radio, of teaching, of communication, but it's also kind of pirate because nobody really, first of all, anybody can do it. It's not regulated. You can say whatever you want. Uh, you can ha talk about whatever you want. There's no, it's not commercialized and it's pretty niche. You know, if you started a podcast in 2007, the only people that could get it were very nerdy internet radio guys that would like listen to electronic music streamed from wherever and they occasionally picked up a podcast and 99% of podcasts were about tech. It was mm. like gadgets, Leo Laporte, whatever this week in tech was one of these ones that it was up there. Other stuff was maybe about video games or really niche stuff only in Apple's store. It was just really cool. And the iPhone wasn't even out yet, right? So like nobody really did this. They just downloaded it to their iPod or listened on iTunes. So we started it and immediately we started getting attention from people in other countries. You know, I thought I'm in Ann Arbor, Michigan, going to the University of Michigan. Mm -hmm. I'm telling people about my local podcast. I knew it was available internationally, but I was like, no one's gonna find it. Occasionally a tech person would email from like California and be like, cool, find. 
Good stuff. And, Keep it up. You, you were just planning on becoming an attorney, right? You weren't right. planning on being right. a superstar international podcast guy. So the, the thought that someone in <laughs> outside of Michigan probably was a crazy thought that anybody would be listening yeah. to it. Exactly. And most of the people that did listen that I knew were people that I had personally told about the show or that like maybe had found out about it from another friend who I told about it. You know, it was just really one, two degrees of separation. We started leaving business cards in bar bathrooms and people would go to the website and be like, what's this thing? And they'd find it and they'd email us, but they're still Ann Arbor guys. Well, we started to get, we started to look at these download maps and it was like Canada, Toronto, whatever, like Germany, South Africa, really, really cool. And I would just stare at these things for hours. And I remember saying, hey, who's listening in Germany? Who's listening in South Africa? You know, why? How did you find us? Email me. So these guys would email and they'd say, yeah, I'm a wildlife park ranger in South Africa. Found your show through this guy who wrote a blog and mentioned it in one of the posts. And I burn him to CD and I drive around the game park looking for poachers or whatever. And I just thought like this, the medium that this is, is this is extremely powerful. Twitter, I think, barely existed. Nobody really used it. Uh, Facebook was for people at certain universities. There was no influencers. It was people you knew. Mm. Uh, most people didn't even have access to it, I think. It was still, like, college kids only. Um, there wasn't anything else, man. There was no Instagram. There was no... There, there just weren't... There weren't influencers. There weren't people that... YouTube didn't exist. There wasn't anything like that. And I remember meeting Gary Vaynerchuk probably in 2008 or 2009. And he was like, why aren't you guys on Vidler yet? And we're like, Vidler? Yeah, well, I don't know. We, we make audio. And they're like, dude, video. He's a video. The next thing, Vidler. You guys got to get on Vidler, which doesn't exist. It later, you know, died and became YouTube. And it was really interesting because being early, 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 like Gary V. And just looking at what he was doing, and he's like, you guys are onto something, man. You guys are onto something. And this is really, really good. Uh, it was fun to be in at that time because we were we were really early. Like, we were so, so early that it didn't exist. And had you not loved the game, so to speak, you would have quit. There's so many people who started podcasts then, and they quit after a few weeks because they're like, this is a lot of work. It's never going to make any money. It's a hobby. It's kind of weird. Don't really care. So you had to, like, if you were, you had to be big nerds like us to really, like, stick in there and do it. And it's only just coincidental slash lucky that now it's paid, right? It's just luck that, that it got popular at all. Mm. Just luck. That sounds humble to me because, uh, first off, you're in it early, which, huge, obviously. But, yeah, that part's luck, you stuck, though, too, right? You stuck, you stuck yeah. to it, which is huge. But you can be like dumb and dumber walking around chasing the same girl and not get anywhere. What were you doing possibly different or well that you think was maybe a secret sauce that allowed it to be popular? Yeah, well, part of it was we were not competing with anyone. So a lot of guys that we were wanting to get knowledge from didn't feel bad about helping us. So back then, the way that guys made money online, the, the very few guys that did, were all these California-based online sales copywriters that had started by doing essentially like mail copywriting I guess it's the original spam. Like you'd open your mail and there'd be some guy who's like, do you need your carpets cleaned? You know, and he would have a convincing sort of spiel and they would mail a million people and 
50,000 would open it mm-hmm. and 10,000 of those people would read it through and then 1,000 of those people would convert and buy whatever thing they were selling you know some book or some online not online some movie vhs whatever that like whatever it was they were selling and that was enough of a conversion ratio and then they were like the internet email it's going to be a thing so and they would make websites and they would drive traffic to the websites through emails and affiliates and we were doing podcasting so i'd be like can i interview you about your subject matter which is either dating relationships whatever Mm -hmm. it was and they would come on and talk about their thing because they weren't helping another marketer they were helping two schlubs who had a podcast back then, you know, and now it's, now it's just my show, but it was like, we were just helping podcasters. So they didn't really care. They just viewed it as another outlet for their stuff. So we didn't step on any toes. And that Mm. was great because we didn't have any incentive. We didn't give them any incentive to squash us or stop us from doing something. And then when we gained a little bit of moment momentum, they were like, I'm going to, I'm going to copy what they're doing, but it didn't work because what we were doing was we were coming in and we were saying, we care about our audience. We want them to have a good experience. We want them to learn from us. This is not our real job. You know, I'm, I'm an attorney. I don't really care about making money off this. What those guys were doing was, I'll tell you the real secrets that I'm talking about if you go to my course and spend $99.95 on, and people are like, I don't need to spend $99.95. Jordan Harbinger's talking about the same thing for free. and. Right. So I trust him more because he's not giving me these BS teasers where I listen for 30 minutes and I learn like one or two small things and then to get the rest of the secrets, I got to go to your stupid website. I was just doing, I was just having conversations. Nobody was doing that. The only other people that were having conversations were either teasing and selling something or the conversation was 10 minutes long. Radio still does that. TV still does that. Or it was some sort of like entertainment fix with 87 commercials in the middle of it. Again, radio and TV are still Mm -hmm. stuck on this business model. We were like, there's no commercials. It's a long form conversation. Nobody's paying us. No sponsors telling us what to do. We're just going to do what we want. And then we edit out the sneezes and here you go. And that's what people really liked. And we weren't trying to make ourselves look or sound cool. Cause again, we weren't trying to brand in any specific way. So it was just, yeah, uh, the reason I'm interested in this is I also need help dating and with relationships because I'm 27 and I'm just starting my career and I don't know what to do and I don't know how to network and I moved to New York and I don't know what's going on. I don't know which end is up. That's a refreshing change of pace from what a lot of these other guys were doing, which was like, I'm a super cool Mac Daddy know-it-all guy. You got to pay me for my knowledge. If you're cool enough to hang out with me, you can give me $1,000 a day and maybe I'll blow a fart in your direction, you know? And it was just like, that was the, that was the brand they were giving off. Right. And it worked for guys that had low self-esteem, but normal guys, cause it was mostly guys that listened at this point cause it's tech-based and I was doing dating stuff. They were just like, why aren't any normal people talking about this and not being dicks? And it was like, we were the only game in town for that. And that was really refreshing. And I bring that energy to the Jordan Harbinger show even now, you know, right. openness, willingness to learn, put the audience first. It's not that I don't have sponsors, of course I do, but I don't sell anything that I wouldn't try myself, unless it's impossible for me to do so. There's certain things where it's like, I I can't do it. But I don't advertise athletic greens and then I'm like secretly not taking it. I don't uh, shill a product where I'm like, God, this thing is a piece of crap. Thanks for the check though, let me sell this to my audience. I don't do that. I, I just, I play the long game and realize that like, Honestly, having integrity and having people trust me after buying something and being like, oh, this was a real recommendation. Like that means more to me than a check. 
which is a good place to be in. And people will say, oh, well, you have the luxury of that because you have a big show. I've always done that. I've always turned down money from things that I didn't think were good, even when I really, really, really needed money. And I think that's where the rubber meets the road. It's, it's, it's easy to, they're right. Critics are right. It is easy to turn down a $50,000 check when you're gonna make 10 times more than that in the next couple of months off of other products. It is. It's a lot harder to do that when you've never made $50,000 in your entire life combined and you live with three stinky ass dudes in Manhattan and you don't know if you can afford dinner, but you're eating Subway right now with your last 20 bucks. You know, like that's that's where the rubber meets the road. And so you really have to ask yourself what you're willing to do. And I think, but the long game is you never did anything to, you, you never traded your reputation for cash. And that's always a good strategy. It just sucks short term if you really need the cash. It does. And, and and it's impressive because you're not you're not blowing smoke. I mean, I've listened to the Jordan Harbinger show. The one product and service that you will pitch is your free course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's even yeah. free. You're you're not slinging anything. It, it, it seems yeah. like aside from your sponsors that generously want to be on board because you have a great audience, you're not slinging products or you don't have an ulterior motive the way that other people might. No, it's funny because I, I the course is free. There's no upsell from it. And people will write in and they'll go, hey, I'm taking this course and it's really useful. When does but the no. upsell thing come? And I'm like, there isn't one. And they're like, no, no, no. But like at the end, there's one, right? And I'm like, no. And they're like, well, wait a minute. You're not going to sell me anything? And I, people will make it through the course and they'll go, I'm, I never got this sale thing at the end. I'm, I'm interested in continuing. And I'll say there isn't anything after this. Just use the stuff. And they just can't even wrap their mind around the idea that I don't have a $10,000 inner circle secret offer for people who make it through or, or for people who don't. It's not that I don't want to do anything like that. It's just that I don't need to. And so, yeah, there's a lot of, it's so funny. People will go, yeah, it's free, right? But I have to enter my credit card when I sign up. And I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> well, okay, it's free. But then, you know, you, in order to unlock the second hat, no, there's no shenanigans. It, it's nobody can really, like, again, they can't wrap their mind around it. And that's always been that way for me where people are like, but where's, when's the other shoe gonna drop? And I'm, I'm thinking there's no other shoe period. We're, we're a one shoe outfit over here. There's no catch. And that alone builds enough trust over time that it actually does really well for my sponsors because I start talking mm. about something and they're like, well, he's probably not bullshitting because his product is free. Course is free. He it, it recommends only things that he uses. I've bought something else that didn't suck from him. So you know, is it from a sponsor from him? So, and and that's just, that's the kind of currency that you can't really buy. I think there's some, there's some old cliche that's like your reputation takes a lifetime to build and a moment to squander, something along those lines. And and never is that more true than with podcasting you, or or I should say with modern online business. And you see that, I, I, I saw a post yesterday from Steve Aoki. I'm putting him a little bit on blast, but whatever. Um, he's a famous DJ. I don't know if you know. Oh that yeah, name. I do. Long, so, long, yeah, throws, long dark hair. Yeah, Asian dude, long dark hair, throws cakes at people. Very eccentric, throwing yeah. cakes. Yeah, and his shows are are kick ass. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm sure he's a nice guy. Like I love his music, whatever. But he did a post where he was going into, I want to say a CT scan or an MRI machine. I can't remember one of those types of things. And he was like, "Thanks to such and such health company for." 
this amazing opportunity and it's like they do all kinds of early cancer detection and all this stuff and i thought like oh that's kind of a cool sponsorship shredded in the comments what does this have to do with your music like why should i trust a dj about health stuff i know you got paid for this uh this is it not affordable service for most of your fans why would you advertise this and i just thought like ah man that's the problem when you kind of abruptly bring in something and you're not really you haven't really primed your audience for it there's no deal to be had with the show like mine with the jordan harbinger show people realize podcasts are not free to make i've got to have sponsors i i say this show is sponsored by this i do the read myself i don't pretend like i just walked into this health clinic and you know whatever <laughs> yeah. like i i am very upfront candid about that people know i'm getting paid this the deal is on the table nobody's mystified by it it's not a hidden placement there's nothing like that when you do it wrong and you just sort of pretend like, oh man, I just sort of decided to get an early cancer screening. I walked into this place in LA and here I am going into the machine with a professional lighting <laughs> setup. It's just, it doesn't sit right because it's not authentic. And I know that buzzword is like really corny these days, but it, it, it really, you really have to be careful about that because there's so many influencers and people to follow out there that even if you think you're immune to it because you're Steve Aoki or a big time DJ, a big time actor, you're gonna fuck up your, whoops, sorry. You're gonna screw up your brand. You can, if you can you, swear, not a problem. But yeah, just, you never know. I probably shouldn't do that. <laughs> but but speaking of authentic, you're gonna fuck up your brand if you do it wrong. You know, you're gonna do that. And it's not, it's not worth it, man. I can only imagine he got maybe 10, 20 grand for that post. How many people unfollowed him think he's stupid for doing that? Like, was that worth it? I doubt it. Long term, I doubt it. Do you think he actually even cares, though? I think people don't know, so they don't care. And then long term, it's like, oh, wait a minute. I'm the guy that's in the insurance commercial, the fast food commercial, the whatever commercial, and I become a caricature of a celebrity or of myself and they're laughing all the way to the bank but at the end of the day what do you have you die with a bunch of money and people think you're the a-hole who sold dick pills the last 10 years before you died and i'm not going to mention anybody because i know that there are people that have gone through i'm thinking of specific examples but they've since passed and i'm thinking you probably had a hundred million dollars in the bank why are you here shilling for an mlm and you're 89 years old, like, what is in this for you? Why would you do this? You just want the money? Why are you in an Herbalife commercial right now? You, it's ridiculous to see this face in there. Ridiculous. You and know, and, at and you're just thinking- Jordan, At least their dick's hard. Yeah, at least their dick's hard, <laughs> exactly. But that's the thing, it, in, or it's like, a, I, I, I saw, and again, RIP, I feel a little bad saying this, Madeline Albright, right, former Secretary of State, was in an Herbalife commercial, it was one of the last things she did before she passed away. What are you doing? What are you doing? You have a brand where you're a Holocaust survivor, former Secretary of State, now you're shilling bullshit ass weight loss stuff, multi-level marketing, what are you doing? You don't need the money. You're just crapping on your personal brand that took a lifetime to build. Your your swan song is shilling a multi-level marketing scam company. Like, oh, it's so painful to watch that stuff. You're 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 making me smile and getting me fired up. It's it's funny because I was listening to your show by now a few months ago, but just in Albany, Albany New York, I'm in Rochester, New York, Nexium. Yeah. And you had Sarah and Nippy who were part of Nexium, 
crazy hippie cult ended up being sex and branding like animals to the women <laughs> craziness. Um, but it was right yeah. down the road from me. I mean, granted, it's actually like four hours, three, four hours. But right, I was going to say, were you me. in the call too? You you missed um, out. I guarantee you, with my connection to the music scene and the kind of music festivals I go to, I met people in that cult. I'm sure of it. That aside, though, they could be these weird, culty, interesting, odd people are right around the corner. Mm. You talk yeah. about. I mean, you have skeptical. What is a skeptical Sunday? Skeptical Sunday. Yeah, you have skeptical mm-hmm. Sunday. You bring on cults. You bring like. You've transitioned a lot from being like, let's do the dating, charmful, smile, handshake, body language kind of guy to talking about cults and crime. And why did you make that evolution, that change? Was the, the, the dating just boring? Yeah, that guy, that was part of it. I mean, Early on, I loved the conversations and I loved body language, nonverbal communication, vocal tonality. We sold coaching, training, all that stuff. But yeah, like, man, and, and again, it's funny, I put in these filler words and I even I, I'm like, oh, I should get rid of that. Um, but I put it in, man, you have to put it in there. Otherwise, you get the you get the negative comments. I put in the time interviewing and talking about dating and relationships. And I sort of ran out of people that were not gross to interview. And then the industry started to be a little weird. I didn't like it. I met my wife uh, and it didn't make sense. It's And I started to see the writing on the wall. It was like, okay, I've been in a relationship for a few years. I'm not gonna use these apps. So, And the, these apps are the future. So if I'm gonna keep talking about dating and relationships, I'm gonna ignore, I'm gonna either ignore this massive part of things, right. or I'm gonna talk out of my ass and make up stuff that's not based on my personal experience whatsoever. Neither of those options appeal to me. And I started to be really interested in other topics like, oh man, this guy, my friend's a drug smuggler. You should talk to him. It's so interesting. And I'd be there and go, this should be the podcast. And I do one or two episodes on that. And people would email and they'd be like, this is amazing. So interesting. You should do more like this. And there was tension from my company. That's like, Hey, every episode you do with a drug smuggler or a mob hitman is one less episode where we can shill our dating stuff. And I told them, we're not necessarily only going to want to talk to those people. You know, we got to maintain the interest. The other thing that was really starting to become writing on the wall Hmm. was I would get emails from somebody who went through one of our programs and was like a super fan of the show. And I'd say, Hey, what's going on, man? I haven't talked to you in a a long time. You still listen to the show? And they go, Oh no, 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 no. I met a girl and I got married. And I'm thinking, Oh, so the most successful people that we have in our show fan base they they outgrow us and they never look back because we did our job right. That's mm. not good. You want people when you do your job right to listen for the next decade, not be oh, like, I you. literally have no use for you anymore. Thank you so much. Your service is much appreciated. That is the opposite reaction that you want. And I also noticed that the people who are sticking with us were either sticking with us for the occasional episode with a drug smuggler and they would say so, or it would be like, I'm still not getting the dating stuff and I'm 53 years old and I've been listening to you for nine years and I'm going, oh my God, I, I don't want this person <laughs> to be the kind of archetype that I have in my life because sure. it's it's a little bit like sad. And I'm clearly not helping them because I'm not able to help them, but they're still listening because they're banging their head against the wall. And it's like, I just need to get away from this. So I started to follow my own interests. And that is actually what precipitated the breakup of me from my old business, which shall remain nameless and me going to the Jordan Harbinger show exclusively 
because I didn't want to do the training anymore. I didn't want to sell stuff anymore. And I found that 90% of my wasted time was like managing personnel issues on another side of the business, dealing with drama from partners inside the business on the training side, money issues because the training side didn't make any money this month. So the podcast had to subsidize them again for the fourth month in a row, whatever it was. And also I just thought, huh, if I do what I want to do, read books, talk to smart people, create amazing shows, I can get sponsors that will pay for my lifestyle, but I can't support what's essentially dead weight, which is this training division. And then once the Me Too era hit, I was like, guys, we've got to evolve. This is ridiculous. This whole industry looks skeezier by the minute. We're at the top of it. Can we transition? And my team, I shouldn't say my team, my partners in the other side of the business, they were like, no, we're going to double down on dating. And I was like, you guys can do that. And they said, no, you're going to do it. You're the face and the voice of the company. You have to do it. And I thought, so I get to do, I get to have all the consequences, make all the money and then give you guys two thirds of it because you exist hard pass. So I just ended up splitting off and doing my own thing. And it's the best thing that ever happened to me because right after that, the pandemic hit. So live coaching where dudes fly across the country to sleep in a dirty ass house with a bunch of other dudes that they don't know and go to bars every night. Airplanes weren't working. Bars weren't working. Nobody wanted to stay around other people. You know, it's just a whole thing. And nobody really does this anymore. They meet on apps and they meet up from there and that's the end of it. And so I really had a good exit, but it's such a, it was so liberating because I really do want to focus on what serves the audience and what serves the audience is not repeating the same 10 body language tips in a different way every single week for another decade. I mean, I've been doing this for 16 years. So I started to really just follow my own interests. Like I said, to come back to the top of the point here, which is I want to talk to the corporate spy. I want to talk to the neuroscientist. I want to talk to the celebrity who's got a crazy story. I want to talk to the cult leader or the cult yeah. survivor. Um, I don't want to just focus on the same stuff. And so that gave me a wide berth to do whatever I wanted. And, and that's what makes, that's one of the main reasons why the Jordan Harbinger show is really successful is because it's variety, but it's all high quality. And it's based on esoteric topics that most people just don't get to discuss. Variety, high quality, amazing topics. People are growing with you rather than growing out of listening right. to you. I, I'm wondering, and, and this isn't a, a hit piece, so we'll just kind of move away from the old. It can be a hit piece if you want to. It's kind of up to you. Yeah. <laughs> we'll move away from that. But what blew my mind, and people can Google Jordan Harbinger and learn more if they need to. <laughs> you built a podcast to being number one, top of the charge, huge audience, then walked away and then did it a second time. Mm -hmm. significantly quicker than the yeah, first time true. aside from lawsuits and stress and possibly trying to pull your hair out what what did you do to set that up and grow it so quickly what was your first move yeah the, the first move was counterintuitive so one of the things this is funny because one of the things my partners did was they my former partners did is they were like we're going to make it really hard for you to move on we're going to try to sue you uh, we're also going to do, we're, we're going to threaten to like say negative things about you if you continue to, to build because they wanted me to just stop and not compete with them. And I said, huh, okay, what's the inoculation to this? And if you remember the movie Eight Mile where Eminem gets up on stage and he's afraid the guy's going to be like, yeah, I banged your girlfriend and your rhymes suck and you're ugly and you're white and mm -hmm. stupid and short, whatever it was. 
he goes up there first and he's like, yeah, I'm white and ugly and stupid. And you bang my girlfriend and I barfed outside of my sweatshirt. And the guy, when it's his turn to go up, he's like, oh, crap, I have nothing to say now. So I basically did that. I went on a bunch of shows. I leaned on my network a lot, right? I made a lot of phone calls. I called everybody that I knew who could maybe help me um, like publicize my new show. That was helpful. But then I went out there and I just told the story really candidly. I didn't try to make myself look good. I didn't try to like whitewash the situation. I was like, I'm in a world of hurt. I'm starting over from zero, this, that, and the other thing. And what happened was instead of being embarrassed or humiliated or looking bad, my or having an opening where I could get attacked by my former business partners, they had to crawl into the hole from whence they came. And they were like, we have nothing to say because all they can do is on their own show, since they didn't want to reach out or they didn't want to build a network the whole time. I was the one who did that during the, the, the previous decade. And so that was sort of my department. They they couldn't have cared less about relationships or anything like that. So I leaned on the network and I'm the one who got the first crack at everything. They had no way to respond to it. But also I just literally told the truth so that they, I remember they sent these letters that were like, we're going to sue you for defamation. And my attorney was like, is there anything we need to be concerned about here? And I was like, absolutely not. I told the truth. And that's a 100% of a defense against defamation is just the truth. So I, my lawyer would write back and be like, good. We would love to go to court about this. You're going to end up paying my client's fees because you're bringing a frivolous lawsuit. And my client looks forward to putting all this information on the public record. And that was the end. And we never heard defamation ever again from that side, because what they knew was, wow, if you go out there and you tell the truth and the whole truth, we really can't do anything to scare you because the worst case scenario is already out there. You just literally went out there and told everyone. It's like, if you are a famous person and your underwear picks get taken by a hacker, you should just call the inquirer and sell them your underwear picks and be like, here are my underwear picks. I want a million dollars for these. They get published and the hacker goes, crap, well, these aren't worth shit now. Mm. I guess I can't extort you for 10 million bucks, <laughs> right? They're not worth idea. anything. Yeah. So that's, I think what Jeff Bezos ended up doing. He basically was like, crap, they got my underwear picks. And he, then he was like, here's my underwear picks. And nobody gave a shit. They did for five minutes and then the hackers and all the extortion people were like, well, there goes that. And it turned out to be like his future brother-in-law who had stolen the picks. Crazy. So the, the idea was really the same. I went out there, leaned on my network a lot, leaned on relationships a lot, went out there and just ended up being as vulnerable as possible uh, in a way that was appropriate, obviously, uh, without slandering anybody. And boom, it actually resonated really well because it turns out, surprise, surprise, Tons of people go through hard times. Most of them don't have an opportunity to talk about it. Many of them think that they're alone. Many of them feel like it's a hopeless situation. So I was able to go from the top and go through this really rocky thing and have people be like, wow, this guy who seemed like he was on top of the world went through some shit and here he is just admitting it and not trying to make himself look impervious to the outside influence or having a bad time. Like that's amazing. So it, it, it really just launched the Jordan Harbinger show sky high. And that was awesome because it was the original audience came back, but then this whole new audience came out that was like, wow, I've never heard anybody just go and talk about real shit. Mm -hmm. Like that doesn't happen that often. That's huge. And thank you for making it through that. Cause that had to have been a headache. Did you have any moments where you're like, the podcasting thing's done. I can move on to something else. I've got um, skill sets. No, because I don't have skill sets. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, no, I, I really enjoy podcasting. I really love it. I really thought it's a shame I can't do it anymore. And then my wife was like, what are you talking about? You can still do it even if it's not your job. 
And, you know, you can make it your job. You just might not be a friggin' overnight millionaire like you were before with the old company. And I thought, you know, that's true. If I just make half as much as I made as an attorney doing podcasting, that's fine. I'll never, I'll, I'll be super happy doing that. And my wife's like, yeah, you can totally do that. And then, of course, what happened was I made w way more than I ever thought possible. I'd make more in a month than I thought I was going to make in a year, you know, before. And that, but that's over time. So I'm very fortunate that that's the way that it happened. But I really love podcasting. And so I, I thought, you know what, I'll just keep doing it even if it ends up being like a hobby. I'll just do it and then I'll end up working at, I don't know, wherever. I have no idea. That, that was scary. Like, how am I going to feed my family? That part was scary. Right. But I thought like, okay, I have a law degree. I can go be a nonprofit attorney somewhere and then do podcasting on the side and have reasonable hours and a hobby that I love and I'll be okay. But that's not a conclusion you come to right away. It takes a couple of weeks of sleepless nights to get there. Right. And for a clarity point, you mentioned over time. Yeah. Um, mention again, how long he, when did you start? Was it like 06 or something? I yeah, I started, I started my podcast, my original, I started podcasting period in 2006. I left my old business in 2018. So I was in that for 11 years. Right. But you're, you know, then I, I built the Jordan Harbinger show to the same size as my previous podcast inside of eight or nine or 10 months. It's hard to tell exactly how long it took, but oh. it was inside of a year. And a lot of that was networking relationships and candidly a pre-existing brand. You know, that didn't hurt either. People listened to my old show and it was taken over by my former partners and they were like, all the reviews from that time are, where is Jordan? One star, <laughs> you know, and like, where is the other guy? What happened? And they didn't address it ever. They just like pretended that oh, nothing wow. ever happened, which is a huge mistake, obviously, on their part too. Open in the room, yeah. So what happened was people will just started Googling, where is Jordan Harbinger? So one of the first pages I put on jordanharbinger.com was where is Jordan Harbinger? What <laughs> happened to Jordan Harbinger? And so those pages got thousands and thousands of, of visits every single week, and some of them still do because um, they're just indexed really well and they got tons of search traffic like you know five years ago. So they still index really well and they just were silent on it. And, and I don't even know if they answered emails when people emailed in about it. Not to mention, I was the one that had, again, all the relationships. Relationships are like an insurance policy that you can't buy with money. Hmm. So I was the one who had the, the relationship with my podcast network, with my ad sales network, with all the show guests with all of the team that I ended up, when I left, I took my entire staff with me, which is a huge blow to the former company. They tried to sue me for that too. They're like, you solicited relationships. And I was like, show me the proof. Show me where really. I told these people to leave. And all of the, all of the um, stuff that they subpoenaed was like people being like, well, if you're leaving, I'm leaving. And I'm like, well, I can't ask you to leave with me. And they're like, I don't care. I'm coming. I'm like, the judge was like, you have no case. There's nothing here that indicates this guy solicited. You just have a team that didn't like you and liked him better. Get this off my desk. It was really, really funny. The mediator was like, what are you trying to eat? I would not bring this to the judge. Do not do this. So that was really funny. And so relationships, 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 man. It's like, that was the safety net. It was amazing. The team came with me. The audience came with me. The advertisers came with me. The podcast ad sales network came with me. That was a huge amount of the value from the former company that had just, that just jumped ship overnight. It was a gross miscalculation to handle things that the way that they did. And it was a lucky calculation that I had actually 
walk to the walk because we were teaching relationships and stuff like that. And I was like, well, I better do this. I better do it in practice because I'm going to look really bad if I don't. And then, you know, it's, we call we say dig the well before you're thirsty. But the thing is, nobody ever thinks, well, one day I'm actually going to be thirsty. You just think, oh, it's, I'm never going to really need this. Digging but it's a nice wells. I've got, I've got five wells. Why would I start digging? Yeah, I got I'm five wells. Why yeah. am I, yeah, why am I, I don't have to really work at this, but I was doing it. I put the systems in place. I really did it over time. I, I, I lived, ate, breathed it, did it well, helped people out without the expectation of something in return. And when I had problems, I would call people like Pat Flynn, if, if you know who that is, uh, small, smart, uh, yeah. smart passive income. Smart and passive I, I remember income. I was like, I need help. What do I do? And he's like, first of all, you're going to be fine. Second of all, I'm going to mail this out to my entire newsletter tomorrow. And mm. everybody who we have overlap is going to know about your new show. And so many people did stuff like like that. And I remember looking at the downloads and it was like 300 downloads one day for the, for the first few days. Then it was like 3000. Then it was like 30,000. Then it was like 300,000. And I was like, Oh, I'm sort of back to where I was like uh, a few months ago. How did that happen? And it's just your network, man, is like just such a, an amazing insurance policy and you can't buy it with money. I could have spent 5 million bucks trying to get that audience back. Wouldn't have worked. You know, it was the relationships that really did it. The relationships. For about five seconds, Jordan, I completely spaced out when you said solicited relationships. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking like, is that a term? Uh, it wasn't solicited paid, relationships. Paid it was solicited well, employees. Uh, yeah, so, that, so that when makes, you leave. But when I hear that, I'm like, you can't buy or I mean, you can buy someone's time. You can, you can't solicit a relationship. You have to do the work. Right. No, no, no. But what it is, is in when you leave a company, you're going to have a contract that's it. Like if you work at you Dropbox, their employees. Yeah, you are, yeah. let's say you're a contractor at Dropbox or you work at Dropbox and you go and you start a startup and your your contract ends. You're going to sign something or you will have already signed something that says you're not going to then go to their engineering department and be like, all right, here's the thing, guys. You leave here, I'm giving you equity in my new company. Happens all the time, by the way, but it's not it's not good if you get caught doing it. You will get sued. And it's fair, right? What you don't want is to have somebody who's inside your company go in and scrape the talent out and, and try and compete with you. It's not great, but it's, it's very hard to enforce that. Um, it's also very difficult to prove that somebody did it and it's not because this person just liked them more. And what one of the things that, the mediator slash judge was saying in, in this particular case was, so you mean to tell me that this advertiser left this big show where they were having success and went and took a flyer on this no name, new thing that has no audience and you're saying it's because Jordan solicited them? That makes no sense. This is a terrible business decision for them to have made on its face. The only reason this person would have left is they have a better relationship with him and there's nothing that shows him soliciting these people. So get out of my office. That's basically how that shook out because it's different if you leave and they get a really awesome deal that just happens to be 10% better than the deal they had at your old company. This was like, can you give me the money instead? But I'm not actually asking them to do that. They're offering it to me and also it's far less money <laughs> than, than before. And they cut off the other place. Like you can easily sponsor two podcasts companies right. do it all the time why did they pull their money from one and go to the other it's because of the relationship it's because of the way it was handled and so that type of thing was was quite gratifying and my attorney was like wow you're really you really must have pulled 
the, the right moves because all these people, my, my team that left with me, I couldn't pay them for the first few months. They worked for me for free. They could have stayed at the old company and kept their paycheck. They didn't do that. They left. They left so they could get paid nothing. I made them whole later, but they didn't know that was going to happen. And I know you talk about this a lot in six minute networking, totally free, no sales page. You'll get angry when you want to spend money with Jordan and he has nothing to <laughs> yeah. sell you at the end. I know you talk upset. about this a lot there. So that I want to plug that. But ultimately, um, what did you do? I mean, it's it, saying relationships are huge. They're currency. They're you get all these things are it's catchy. We know relationships are important. But like you've got a you got a nice voice, you got a nice haircut. You did more mm. than that. What are you doing? Maybe something you talk about in the course that actually allows sure. you to have these strong connections, relationships. Where a Pat Flynn is sending information out to his email list when he wouldn't have think you wouldn't even considered it for the other guys in your company. What are you doing to make that possible? Yeah, I I do a lot of well. One, keeping in touch with people, but also beyond that, I look for how I can help those people do what they want to do. You know, if I get wind of something that somebody's doing, I will help them do it uh, if I can. And a lot of what that is, is maybe I'll make an intro that they need. I never say no to somebody who asks me for some kind of introduction. I mean, as, as long as we have a good relationship, I say no to people all the time who I don't know. Right. But, you know, I, I help other people and I don't have an expectation of getting anything in return. I don't keep score. I don't say, hey, since I introduced you to that person, can you introduce me to this person? I don't do that. I don't do any sort of like passive aggressive crap. Again, I going back to the original lesson about not competing with somebody, I don't treat my relationships like, oh, if, I, if they succeed at this thing, then it means something bad about me. My friend has a, I can't say who it is because it's still under embargo, but he has a Netflix special coming out. Amazing. The announcement I think came out today, um, but I'm not sure if I'm allowed to share it. But anyway, it's a well-known guy, big online business, has a Netflix special coming out about financial stuff. And I'm really happy for him. And it's not fake. It's not It's not uh, like, oh, I'm happy for him, but I wish it were me. It's just like, wow, this is really good news. So I'm helping promote that. Um, I gave him a bunch of advice on where to look to to make a big splash. Told him some other people I knew that had Netflix stuff that they can, he can call for advice, whatever it is, made those intros. You have to do that stuff. You can't sort of give lip service to it or do a head fake where you're like, oh, I'm supporting you, but I really want you to fail so that I can have that opportunity later. Or that I really, I want you to fail so that I feel better about myself. That's a competitive thing that doesn't work well long-term. And if you help a lot of other people and you don't expect or require them to give you something in return, it's not a quid pro quo, you bank a lot of social currency over time. And if you do that over a period of years, when you need something, those same people are going to be jumping over their desk to try to help you because not only do they feel they owe you one, but it's the least they can do. And there's some people that I've helped like 10 times with big things, mm -hmm. and I've never asked them for anything in return. And it's like every Christmas or whatever, they send me all kinds of nice stuff. I have a baby, they send me $500 worth of gifts. And I'm like, you don't have to do that. And they're like, this is the least I can do for you. Yeah. You got me a job with such and such. I made twice my salary because of that intro you made. And I'm thinking like, oh, you know, whatever. I don't care to keep score, but you bank so much social currency doing that. And you just get so much goodwill that people, they want, they'll do anything to see you succeed in the way that you've helped them do the same. This is powerful, Jordan. For, for the listener at home, thousands 
of hours of content on the Jordan Harbinger show. I want to transition to the rapid fire round. I want to sure. just keep going deep with you, but I know I have listeners that will be so <laughs> mad if we don't do the rapid fire. These right, are short, sweet points don't matter, uh, but we want them to be quicker. We'll start off soft, either or fill in the blank, and then I might hit you with a couple heavier ones, and you can take okay. your time with those. Sure. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Beer or wine? Beer. Cats or dogs? Oh, depends on the cat, but probably mostly dogs. But I have two cats, but they're not like cat cats. What What do you mean by not cat cats? They don't like they don't have that bitchy streak where they'll they're like I'm in a bad mood. I'm gonna scratch you. Um, they go they run around and they play. There's still cats in that they jump up on stuff and they're kind of like I don't want you to bother me sometimes. But they're hairless and they're way more like dogs. You know, they run around in the yard and come back. They don't. They don't do like that cat stuff that everybody hates about cats, but they have all the good benefits. They have all the good parts of cats that people like about cats, but they also have a lot of the stuff that that that's likable about dogs in the way that they're just like loyal and playful. Wow! If you could bottle that up, <laughs> I know. Well, that's, that's the thing. Incredible. I hated cats before. My wife's like, "No, my cat's great." And then we got another one, and I thought, "Wow, these are really great." And then I meet other cats. I'm like, "Guess I'm a cat person." I meet other cats, and I'm like, ah, "I hate your cat. Such a jerk." <laughs> So, Jordan, dinner party, no microphones. This isn't for an audience. This is for you. You mm -hmm. get to invite three people, live or dead. Mm. Your wife can be there. You'll be there. You can bring a couple friends, but three. Um, you know what? I was going to say celebrities. They don't even have to be. Just three humans, live mm. or dead. Who do you want to invite? Alive or dead is hard because that's like such an unlimited pool of people. Let, what, do you want to do just alive or do you want to do just dead? Ooh, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I should have like a canned answer to this, but I don't because people <laughs> ask me this stuff all the time. You know, I think it would be really cool to talk to somebody who knows a ton of like Rasputin or something would be cool. Right. I don't know. He might be too kooky. I don't I got to read up on that guy. But I, somebody who knew a lot about something in a period of, of history where we just don't know or like a pharaoh. Right. One of the pharaohs who can explain everything that's going on and like, how did you build the pyramids? All right. First of all, it wasn't aliens. Everybody <laughs> calm down. Here's how we did it. Like, you know, you want to solve some of those some of those mysteries. Um, yeah. So uh, probably like that, like a pharaoh, like uh, a, a Rasputin and possibly some kind of. I don't want to say medieval king, because I feel like those are just dirty barbarians who didn't wash their hands. But there's got it. There's going to be some other figure like that historically. That's is super, super interesting. And I'm just drawing a blank, like King David or something like that. Or, you know, Prophet Muhammad or somebody like that would be super interesting. I got to now obligatorily say, Jesus, or you're going to get 8000 emails <laughs> about how bad of a person I am. Yeah, uh, if those people indeed existed, then one of them for sure, or all of them. Why? Well, there you go. All Muhammad, Jesus, and who am I leaving out? Buddha? That would be a hell of a dinner party. It would be. Can there we end go. with one, one slightly hot take? Sure. First, just free association. First thing that comes to mind, Andrew Tate. Oh, man. I was going to say bald, <laughs> but it was like such a crap take. Um, you know, he's damaged but that doesn't mean that he's it doesn't mean everything he says is wrong most of the stuff that he, he says in his viral videos is horrible but i think that's for attention um i think some of the stuff he means i would love to sort that out 
I uh, actually have plans on trying to do that. The problem is he's in a Romanian prison and they don't love the whole setup of podcast in a, in a pro in a Romanian prison. And frankly, it's winter in Romania and it's cold. So uh, if, if, if it's going to happen, I'm at least going to wait till it's warm. Jordan, man, thank you for coming on the show. How can we continue to love and support you? Sure. The Jordan Harbinger show, wherever you, wherever you get your podcasts, H-A-R-B-I-N-G-E-R, Harbinger. Boom, baby. Thanks for coming on, man. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thanks again for listening to Learn, Speak, Teach, powered by Balbert Marketing, LLC. You need to go subscribe if you haven't yet. This show is completely free. If you gain value from the episode, personally share with a friend and explain your favorite part. Leave us a review on Apple, Google Podcasts, or anywhere you listen to the show. All right. Thanks once more for listening to LST. I am so grateful. Talk to you soon. Hey, Jordan Harbinger here. Had a great time on Real Business Connections. Good questions, a lot of leeway to talk about whatever I wanted, but in a way that's useful for the audience, and I really appreciate the opportunity. Oh, hey, you're still here. Thanks for listening. If you need to take off, that's quite all right. I do have something brand new and exclusive to share. If you believe more hands-on training, peer accountability, and direct access to some of our guests from this very show would be a helpful addition to the podcast, do me a favor and head over to growgettersonly.com. That's grow, G-R-O-W, getters, G-E-T-T-E-R-S, only, dot com, growgettersonly.com. Here you can unlock instant access to exclusive high-level mentors, training, networking, accountability, and hot seat coaching alongside fellow growth-obsessed entrepreneurs and business professionals just like yourself. All for, guess what, one dollar That's right, $1 for 30 days. What's a grow-getter? In short, a growth-focused individual, especially in the business realm, who combines the relentless energy of a go-getter with a constant pursuit of self-improvement and collaboration. Is that you? Head to growgettersonly.com for some community support. This is not for you if... You're looking for a quick fix rather than long-term growth. Collaboration and learning from others just doesn't seem to appeal to you. You're not ready to be part of a community that relentlessly pushes boundaries. Complacency is your comfort zone. It's not for you. If it is for you, and if you didn't turn this off yet, I do presume you're a grow-getter. And I'd love to invite you to join my new collective, Grow-Getters Only. Basically, cost to check it out. $1 for a month. It's basically free. Everything is over at growgettersonly.com. Just like I said, growgettersonly.com. Oh yeah. And one last thing, we do put on free events as well if you can't afford the dollar. (laughs) Jokes aside, I'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening. Appreciate you. Opportunity.